Welcome once again to the Bible Foundations program. It's a delight to have you with us today as we continue on st our, in our study of foundational truths of all the promises of God leading up to the one who is now proclaimed in the New Testament and shown to us from the Old Testament that he is the promised deliverer. That is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one who is known as Emmanuel. God with us. God with us, my friend. It was God himself, God the Son, who was to be the deliverer that was promised all the way through the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 on up until now to show us that God had hope in his, in his own righteousness to be able to provide a way of escape from the power of Satan and sin and death. Now, every man re lives under that penalty of death. The penalty for sin is death. God has declared that clear back at the time of Adam and Eve, and God has never changed his mind. The penalty for sin is death today, and it was death at the time of Jesus. And Jesus was proclaiming to those people as he showed them his mighty power as God the Son that he was able to deliver them from the power of Satan and sin and death. They had lived under this all of their lives, even though they were very religious people. They were going to the synagogue. Some of them were teaching. Some of them were Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. But we see that they didn't get the picture. You know why? Because they refused or they were unable to see who this Messiah was that was now performing the very acts of God himself in front of their eyes. Now we've seen since Jesus began his ministry that he healed the leper. The leper was a picture of a helpless sinner unable to heal himself. And we see that uh, the leprosy, the person with leprosy, recognized the power of God in Jesus, that God himself could be seen in the life of Jesus. And he went to him and asked him to make him clean. Oh, my friend, Jesus delights in making those who are filled with sin clean. And that was his message. You see, that was the message that he was proclaiming with authority in the, in the temple when he began his ministry. And the one who was in the temple... One of those religious people was filled with an unclean spirit. He was filled with the devil himself. He was controlled by the devil. And he began to speak out. That devil in him began to speak out. The devil was using his body the same way the devil used that serpent's body back in the time of Eve. And you see, he was crying out. He said, I know who you are. You see, people were recognizing that Jesus was God, and the devil himself had to recognize it. He couldn't help but speak and give acknowledgment to, Here is God the Son. I know who thou art. Thou art the Son of the living God. Now the Bible tells us in several places that Jesus is the very image of God as much as could possibly be in human form, Jesus was and is a demonstration of God himself in the flesh. Now that means that he was sinless. And you'll remember that the sacrifice all the way through the Old Testament had to be perfect. It had to be without flaw. Well, here is one who has come to deliver us who is without flaw. He is without sin. God himself was pleased with Jesus. Jesus reflected the character of God himself as he lived and walked on this earth. You see, he was always sinless and holy. He always kept his word. He was always faithful in all that he did. 
and he was completely righteous, and his knowledge was perfect, and he was merciful and gracious and completely loving and kind. No wonder as he began his ministry, we find that it was stated that he found favor with God and with man. It was favor with God that caused God the Father to call out from the, from the heavens, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, God is not well pleased with you and I, or any other human being that's been born of Adam, because of Adam's sin. It is our very bend, and because of our very slavery to Satan himself, to do our own thing, to go our own way, and declare our independence from God. We don't have to try. That's just what we do naturally. You see, because we're separated from God, there is no spiritual connection between us and God. That died in Adam and Eve's sin. And everyone since then has been born without it. But Jesus has come to show us the way back to God. In Matthew chapter 4, we saw that Jesus endured the very temptations that you and I are offered, only on a much greater level. You see, he was tempted in every way as a man, but he did not yield to temptation. He was God. He was sinless. He was perfect. And you see, that pleased God. We can't please God because we are not sinless and we are not perfect. But he is, and he is the promised deliverer, the one who has been promised to us as having the ability to satisfy God and restore or reestablish a relationship with God that will save us from the lake of fire, the eternal punishment that rests upon every person because of our sin. Now, when Jesus began his ministry, you'll remember that he began the same way that John the Baptist had been preaching. John had been preaching the baptism of repentance. Now Jesus comes repeat, uh, uh, preaching repentance. He's saying, you people need to change your attitude. That's what Jesus, who is God, is saying to mankind. And he's saying it to the religious leaders. He's saying it to the children. He's saying it to the women. He's saying it to the men. He's saying it to everyone. That we have a desperate need before God because we fail to meet his standard. And he's telling us that he wants us to change our attitude and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. There's nothing in us that God can accept in any form of our righteousness that will bring us back into fellowship with him. We are cut off from him. And Jesus says, I want you to believe my words and understand that in order to come to God, you must believe what, we say, what we're telling you. You must believe what God says about your sin. And so Jesus, as God's only son, the only son of God, remember, John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the only son of God that God has ever had. Now, all others are created beings, and there's a distinct difference between a son and a created being, my friend. This son of God was God himself, God the Son. Now, you remember that the, the Word of God tells us continually and demonstrates to us that God himself is a plurality. He's more than one. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, and he's God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God's only Son. He is God the Son, and he is the Son of God. 
And this son of God says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can't come your own way. Your righteousness is not good enough. You can't come because you're a son of Abraham or a son of a good person or a son of a church goer or a daughter of a good church goer. Your heritage is not what God accepts. He says very simply, you must have a new birth, a second birth. The first birth is that of the flesh. The second is that of the spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, who could cause Jesus to be implanted in the life of Mary, in the body of Mary, and Jesus would be born as God the Son, is the very one who is able to create a new birth in those who will come to God, God's way. And God says, you come by accepting that uh, what I've said about you, that all have sinned and come terribly short of the glory of God. You see, he is holy and we are not. And we must come recognizing that we are helpless to save ourselves. That's what he means about a change of attitude. Have you acknowledged before God that you are helpless to save yourself? Well, my friend, that might be offensive to you. You might think you're a pretty good person, just like these religious leaders did. You remember that the scribes were the lawyers of the day, the teachers of the law. They knew the details of the law, and they were supposed to know and be able to explain the real meaning of God's word. Some parts they could. Now, at least to some degree. But they were a proud people. They were proud of their learning. And they did not realize it was more important to believe and obey what God was saying than it was just to talk about it. Then there were the Pharisees that were proud to be Abraham's children. They prided themselves in that, and they added to God's word. They thought they would be accepted by God by obeying the many rules that they themselves had added to what God had said. You see, they didn't see themselves as sinners like the common, ordinary other people. They kept themselves separate from everyone else. They didn't want to be contaminated by those sinners. But you see, Jesus was preaching repentance to them. And he said they needed to change their attitude too. And then there were the Sadducees that didn't believe all that God had said in his word. They deleted many of the truths of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's all through the Old Testament, my friend. And they rejected about all except the first five books of the Bible. Besides all that, they had a personal agenda. They were in great prominence uh, with the Roman Empire at that time, and they didn't want to uh, lose their positions of prominence, you see. The reality is, my friend, they had a form of religion, but they did not know or trust God in their hearts. And Jesus said they needed to change their attitudes. You know what? That offended them. Are you offended when somebody tells you that you're a sinner and you come short of the glory of God? Well, my friend, Jesus offended people in that very way. And oh, how much more important it is that we recognize our need, even at the risk of being offended, and come to God for salvation than to be eternally lost. You see, that's what it means, my friend, to change your attitude. Change your attitude toward God because he is holy and you are not. Change your attitude toward God, recognizing, yes, God, I'm a sinner. I'm helpless to save myself. There's nothing I can do that's good enough for you to accept. And so I place my trust in this deliverer, the Savior, Jesus, who is God the Son, the Son of God. I place my trust in him because he's sinless and he's telling me that I must be born again. 
Now, all the way through our Old Testament studies, we've been continually reminded that the only way to God is God's way. And Jesus is telling us, as God confirms it even from the heavens, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He's telling us who he is. And this is the way to God. There is no other way, my friend. Now, I'm not saying that. This is what the Bible says. And I can only tell you what the Bible says. And I want you to read it for yourself. Don't build your uh, thinking on what I'm just saying by myself. Check it out. Read along in the Word of God with me. For my friend, it's God's Word to you and I today. And it begins to be ours as we believe what He said. Other than that, we rest with condemnation on us and eternal separation from God forever unless we change our minds and our attitudes and come to God agreeing with him about our sin and that our only hope is in the sinless one who came to be our deliverer. Now these religious leaders watched as Jesus did these very miracles before their eyes. They knew that no ordinary person could do these things and that's why Nicodemus came to Jesus believing, even if it was by night. You see, he came because he saw the demonstration of God in this man. And we see that Jesus was healing. Now, when this uh, paralyzed man was brought to Jesus and they let him down through the roof, we see that Jesus demonstrated that he had not only power to make someone well, but that he had the power to forgive sins. Now, one of the most common things in society among religious people is when they find themselves coming short of the glory of God, they become very critical of those who say they do not meet God's standard. And that's precisely what these religious leaders were doing to Jesus. They were now trying to trap him and find fault with him because they were envious of him. They should have been able to recognize that Jesus was God, and of course he had power to forgive sins. Now, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. For example, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, 14, where it says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, well, they should have known those scriptures. It should have been a very part of them, for God had tried to give reproof to them in the time of Hezekiah, about 600 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus, you see. And forgiveness of sin was attributed to God all the way through the Old Testament. And they should have recognized who it was that was saying, the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. But you see, they didn't want to agree with God that they were sinners. And so they were offended, and they set out to trap Jesus. And that's precisely what we see happening in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Turn there with me, if you will, please. My friend, the reason that I ask you to turn to these very passages of Scripture is so that you'll see that I'm just not putting you on. I'm telling you what God has said. And what he has said in his word here is a matter of life and death for every person. Eternal life or eternal death, my friend. Not just life on this earth, but eternal life. Life beyond this life. For life does not just end at death. It does not end at the grave. For the scripture tells us that even the dead that are outside of Christ will be raised again unto the great white throne judgment. And from then, all who have refused to believe will go to the lake of fire, which was created for Lucifer and all of his followers. 
for Satan and all of those evil spirits who continue to deceive and tell us, well, God didn't really say that. And they try to mislead us and they try to tempt us and make sin and eternal death look like it's of no consequence. But let me tell you, when God says we've seen the record that he keeps his word, my friend, and it's God that's reliable. And Satan will tell you that he's a liar. But God is not the liar. Satan is the liar. And he wants you to believe on him. Now we see Jesus entering the synagogue again in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And he entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. Who watched him? The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They watched him whether they would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. You see, the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders had rejected the message of God through John, and they also rejected the teaching of Jesus, the Savior. They were constantly watching Jesus with a critical attitude, hoping that he would do something against their rules so that they could arrest him and condemn him and put him to death. You see, Jesus obeyed all of the laws of God. And isn't it an interesting thing that as we've watched the patterns of the Old Testament, those who were righteous in their attitude toward God were hated by those who did not want to surrender their will to God. First example, Cain and Abel. Abel believed God and his brother hated him when God accepted his sacrifice and would not accept Cain's sacrifice. God tried to teach him, but teach was, uh, Cain wasn't teachable. My friend, the examples of unteachableness should tell us something, that we need to change our attitude. We need to change our mind about our sin and agree with God. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life here on earth, and that was offensive, offensive to these who could see by the standard of God himself that they were not able to meet that same standard because they were envious. They were jealous. They were self-centered. They were afraid their empire was going to be upset. And these are the ones who added their own rules to God's word in an attempt to please God and to be made acceptable to him. Now, one of the rules that the religious leaders added, these Pharisees, was that it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath day. Now, God didn't say that. There's nowhere in the Bible that's given an example of that. They had added that, you see. They considered the healing on the Sabbath day was like working on the Sabbath day. Now, the law of God had said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But God had not added these details uh, such as these guys were because they were trying to earn merit to God to say, well, you think this is good. Well, let me give you one better. You shall not even heal on the Sabbath day. You see, God said not to add to his word. And if you've added to God's word in your religion, my friend, then you're like these Pharisees. You're coming to God with additions of your own that God has not said. And God cannot accept you for that. You see, Jesus refused to follow this business that these guys had made up. And he refused to follow the other rules which the leaders of the Jews had added to the word of God. You see, the message of repentance was offensive to these who refused to believe. That's why they were offended. They didn't want to acknowledge that they were sinners before God. These Jewish leaders hated Jesus because he claimed to be the Son of God, the promised deliverer. 
They should have been the first to recognize him, but they were so pious and independent from God and making their own ways and their own rules to be accepted by God. It was like they put their own fig leaves on themselves to be accepted by God instead of recognizing that they had sinned before God. You see, they hated Jesus because he told them that they were sinners. And Jesus knew that the leaders were not honestly seeking to worship God. He knew what their hearts were like. You see, man looks on the outward appearance, and sometimes we think we cover all of what's inside of us by our outward appearances and activities. We can be so pious and so religious and so perfect in all the things we do, and yet have an imperfect heart with God, an imperfect worshiping of Him knowing that we're really putting on an outward appearance rather than what is from the heart. You see, the Bible calls someone who acts like this a hypocrite. They acted religious on the outside, but on the inside they were selfish and evil. And the Bible calls that kind of a person a hypocrite. Now, if a person tries to appear very religious when he really doesn't care about God, that is true hypocrisy. Now I meet people regularly who tell me they don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. Well, my friend, there are a lot of hypocrites in the church, and that's where they need to be. And that's where you need to be because you have hypocrisy in you as well, if that's your accusation. You see, Jesus knows your heart just as he knew these men's hearts. And Jesus didn't turn his back on the hypocrites. He kept calling them to himself. He said, come and recognize that you're a sinner. And those who were calling them hypocrites, they needed to recognize, too, that they needed the same Savior that the hypocrites did. You see, all of us come short because God says the standard is perfection, and you're not perfect, and neither am I, my friend. Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knew the hearts of these religious leaders, and he made clear to the Jewish people that their leaders were hypocrites. Jesus called them hypocrites. Now, crowds of people followed Jesus. And this made these Jewish leaders who were envious of him hate him even the more. They were indeed jealous of him. Now, some people today are like those Jewish leaders in Jesus' time. They claim to be religious, but inside they just don't really care about God at all. These people claim to be Christians, and they have not believed in God. They are still under Satan's rule. And it certainly is true, as we've mentioned before, that people that are like this, hypocritical, and yet a part of the church or whatever today, whatever religious form, as we've mentioned before, this type of people turns others away from the promise of the Savior. And if God is reproving your heart in these very areas, my friend, change your attitude and turn to God today, acknowledging your hypocrisy and your sin before him. You see, some people say that they would never want to become a Christian because they've seen someone who, uh, who is really a hypocrite. And we should never let other people's hypocrisy turn us or keep us away from learning about the Lord. That will not stand as an excuse before God. And as we've mentioned before, the scripture tells us that the work of God will begin in the house of God. And if the work of God begins in the house of God, how shall the sinner stand before him? You see, we need to look at the Bible and see what is true and not be embittered with hypocrites. You see, God knows each person's heart. 
and he will deal with those who are hypocrites. Let me assure you he will deal with the hypocrites. You don't have to deal with the hypocrites or be sidetracked because of them, because they will be accountable to God as each one of us are personally accountable and responsible to learn about God and to come to God God's way through Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the only one who can free you and me from, the, from Satan and from sin and from death. Now we see that these critical people who were the hypocrites themselves, the Jewish leaders, the religious ones that were in the synagogue all of the time, Putting on a show of godliness, they were watching to see whether Jesus would heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And you know what? In verse 3 and 4 of chapter 3 of Mark, we see that that's what Jesus did. Read it with me. And he said unto the man which uh, with the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the uh, Sabbath day, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. Well, my friend, when Jesus reproved them, they wouldn't answer him. Now, Jesus was truly angry with these Jewish leaders because they had set in their minds and their hearts against him, against the things that God was trying to teach them. They'd hardened their heart. And that's just what Pharaoh did back in Egypt when God sent Moses to tell him to let the Israelites leave Egypt. Pharaoh set his mind and his heart against God and was determined to do what he wanted to do. And what happened with that man? Well, God destroyed that evil man and ruined his country. You see, God is supreme and sovereign, and you say God wouldn't do a thing like that, but my friend, the record shows over and over again that he did it. God hates sin, my friend, and nobody fights against God and wins. Did you hear that? Nobody ever fights against God and wins. It's a dangerous thing for people to set their, set their minds against God and his message, and God will eventually destroy everyone who refuses to obey him. Nobody fights against God and wins. Let's read on now and see what happens in verse 5. And when he looked around about them, on them with anger being grieved for their hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Jesus completely healed this man's hand. You see, nobody could do that except God, and Jesus is God. That's why he demonstrated his, himself as God in man in human form as he traveled on this earth. Now, just how did Jesus, God the Son, heal this man? What did he do? Well, my friend, he just spoke. He just spoke, and the man's hand was healed. Now, you remember that in the beginning, when God created the world, all he had to do is speak. You see, Jesus was the expression of God, the Word of God that became a human being. The Word became flesh and dwell among us. You see, Jesus is God. He created all things by simply commanding them to happen. And in that same way, he commanded this man's hand to be healed, and it was completely well. You see, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all there in the beginning. And here we see them active as we have throughout the ages. And now God the Son has the power to just speak and completely cause that withered man, hand of that man to 
grow right back immediately into a normal hand. Now, you can't, can't do that. There's no doctor or medicine today that can do that, especially while someone is standing there watching. And these people who were doubting God and saying, Jesus, are you going to heal on the Sabbath day? They watched God the Son speak and cause that hand to simply be normal. Only God could do that. Now we see these wicked Pharisees, ones who were worshipers of God on the outside, but plotting against God the Son on the inside. They know, go in verse 6 to the Herodians. Read it with me. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Oh, they hated him. Oh, they did not want him to be their king. The Herodians were followers of King Herod. They didn't want any other king. And this King Herod was the son of King Herod who had tried to kill the Lord Jesus when he was a baby. Now, do you think that Jesus knew what was going on? You bet he did. Did it stop him from doing what he was there to do? Not at all. Let's read verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they heard what great things he'd done, came unto him. People were gathering to Jesus from everywhere. He couldn't go anywhere and have any privacy. And great crowds from the nearby areas came to see Jesus and to hear him teach and to be healed of their sicknesses. You see, Jesus is God, and men and women were recognizing that this was not the norm. This wasn't just a normal prophet, that God and God alone is supreme and all-powerful and sovereign, and he alone has power to speak and bring healing. He alone is all-powerful. He alone has power to forgive sin. Now join me again next time on Bible Foundations as we continue to see the excitement building and the followers of Jesus coming to him by day and by night.